Welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast, where you can hear messages from our church that will directly impact your life. Our hope is that by listening to God's Word, your life will be transformed by the power of His truth. To learn more about our church, visit cornerstonebv.org. Here is another message from Pastor Jamie at the Cornerstone Church. Thanks, Bob. How are we doing this morning? That's better. Usually you guys are pretty... Uh, Pretty low key. We need some energy, so thank you for bringing that. Uh, so we're going to be looking at some stories that that Jesus told. Um, in order to to begin that, I have uh, a dollar bill in in my. Uh, wait, hold on. Uh oh. I had it last night. What happened? Different pants, I guess. Um, well, it's just a dollar bill. Who cares? Uh, anybody have a dollar bill I can borrow? Because I really. But you got one. All right, it's, here, just bring it up, Tony. You've got to stay, like, far away from me, though. You know how it works. Thank you. Put it right on the, on, the, on the pew there. Thank you. Wow, he just threw that away. No problem at all. Well, um, I'll grab that in a second, but really the best way to introduce this point is the $100 bill. But I didn't put that in my pocket because I can't lose that. It's right over here. I, uh, is there a thief in here? It's gone. I don't have a dollar bill. Tony, you have a $100 bill at all? <laughs> Suddenly he doesn't know his name. Anybody have a $100 bill? You know, last night someone had a $100 bill and they actually gave it to me. It blew this illustration out of the water completely. You, would, uh, you can Venmo me the 100 whatever, right? But uh, lots of you are ready to give up the dollar bill, but not the $100 bill. You know why? Of course you do. It's called value, right? The more valuable something is, the less you're likely to just kind of be like, oh, who cares? I lost it, right? If, if, uh, if I were to say there's something right now or even person that you found out right now is missing and you don't know where it is or they are and, and, and you just kind of can't pay attention, maybe even you're going to have to leave. I have to go figure it out. I got to find this. What would it be? Give me something. What can't you lose? Your wife, your dog. I won't put those together at all, all right? Your what? Your mind, too late, Bob. Uh, Car, right? Phone, someone's got to say phone, right? Your whole life's in that thing, right? Your planner, some of you refuse to put it in your phone, still have that thing, right? And and, and money, like we already been through that one, so uh, maybe one of your kids. Depends on how many kids you got, right? I mean, if you got several, whatever, it's fine. But if you only got a couple, you don't want to lose one of those. So the more valuable something is, the less or the more kind of we desire. If we're losing it, we will go and do whatever it takes to find it. I remember uh, a mom on the beach a couple years ago who couldn't find her son. Anyone ever had that happen on the beach or seen that? She was freaking out, and I started freaking out. I don't even know these people, right, just thinking about it, right, because you actually lost one of your kids. So, so the idea here, right, is these three stories come together that Jesus tells to talk about how valuable you and I are to God to the heart of God. And I don't want to just be Sunday school here, be like, oh, God loves us. I want us to really understand how valuable you are to the creator of the universe because that's what Jesus wanted us to understand and to not just celebrate it in you but celebrate it in others as well as we see a God who seeks and saves the lost. Right? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and you are God and you love us and we are valuable to you. 
And I thank you, Lord. I pray that you will bless this time together. This is your truth. You know what each of us needs, including me. And Lord, through your Holy Spirit, that you would, you would save those who need to be saved, encourage those who need to be encouraged, convict those who need to be convicted, bring back home those who are far from you, Lord. Thank you that this is an opportunity. And I pray that we would have the courage, boldness, and focus to take it. I pray you give me the strength and clarity to preach your truth and to get out of the way and not have it be me, but have, it be, have us all hear from you through me. And so in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So um, these uh, three stories are amongst the most beloved, especially the third one that Jesus ever told. So regardless of your church background, you've probably heard it. If not, it's awesome for the first time you get to hear it. But you've probably seen it or, or heard it uh, at some point or some version of it. That's how famous it is. And So all of these are found in Luke 15. Uh, we'll put it on the screen, but if you do have your Bible, that's all you have to do is open it to Luke uh, chapter 15, verse 1. And so um, before we get there, uh, I have to be a human bulletin for just a second since we don't have real bulletins, all right? So I'll do it as quick as I can. But some things coming up. First, uh, our Thanksgiving service, Tuesday night at 7. Um, don't come if you're not thankful to God for something. How do you like that for a subtle guilt trip? You like that? Uh, no, but it's, uh, we actually talked about whether or not we should do it because of COVID and all that, and we said, you know what, it'll be a little bit different than it usually is if you've ever been to that service, but it's a simple service. It's not long. It's just song. It's we celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, and we're thankful. We, we aren't going to be able to do live devotion or uh, thankful, uh, um, just kind of giving testimonies and all that. We usually do that. So we would like for you to send in your family, yourself, whoever, uh, maybe just a 10, 15 second what you're thankful for this year, and we'll put together a digital version of that so we can still see your, your testimony. So we'll send that out in an email form, but be uh, ready for that. Um, and Saturday, we'll send this out as well. Uh, we don't need a ton of people, but if, some able bodies who can help us clear out our boiler room. I know that sounds really scary <laughs> to go in the boiler room, and it is a sort of a scary place, but we'll be there. We'll hold your hand. It'll be fine. And we just need to empty that so the reno people can get to it. Um, so uh, if you, I think it'll be probably 9 o'clock Saturday morning. Even if we had 5 to 10 able-bodied people, it would really get that done quick. So, uh, And lastly, can you believe it's Advent next weekend? That's crazy. So uh, we're going to have some Advent devotionals available for you to purchase, or you can get your own, uh, some different options. It's a great opportunity, since a lot of us are staying home more, to do some devotional by yourself, or with your family, or as a married couple, whoever, whatever your situation might be. So we're going to have present a few different options to you, so be aware of that. But we also need Advent readers for every service. So if you've seen that before, we have our Advent wreath, and we just do quick reading. If you'd like to do that, uh, your kids or grandkids or something like that, too, light the candle. It's always fun. So um, we need volunteers for that. It's three every weekend, so uh, either persons or uh, family. So, okay, I think that's it. Um, I'm done being a human bulletin, but that's good. Things are happening, right? So, as we get to Luke chapter 15, the context here, um, it, it, you gotta, it, you need a theological degree like mine to understand this, okay? But Luke 15, verse 1, comes right after the last verse of Luke 14. That's why he paid me the big bucks, okay? Right? And, and so Luke didn't actually put the chapters in. Those were put in later to help our kind of understanding and find different places. So we can kind of naturally make a cutoff, and it's like a new context. But it isn't. At the end of 14, which I won't put up there, right, is Jesus is saying that saying we have seen in a, a lot in these, uh, th these stories. It is that uh, he who has ears, let him 
here, right? And he means spiritually, right? So that's the last thing he says, and we roll into this in verse 1 where, where it says, Luke tells us, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, right? So Luke's kind of subtly, not so subtly telling us, who's going to hear him? It's the outcasts, it's the broken, it's the despised, it's the sinners, tax collectors, they were, they were like, they colluded with Rome, they were thieves, they were unclean. These are people in debaucherous type situations that, that, that good religious Jews were like, you are not allowed and here. And for some reason, Jesus attracts these people. And that's a beautiful thing. If you ever get in a point in your life, and maybe you're there now, where you think you're too uh, much of a rebel, you're too unclean, you've sinned too much, you have to understand there's always been, always will be something about Jesus that draws us to him. Something about his teaching and his healing and his offer of grace and mercy and forgiveness and new life. There's something about that that when you're lost in sin, man, you just, you just want to go to Jesus. That's never uh, changed. It's always other people's depictions of some angry, cruel Jesus. He's always drawn sinners and tax collectors. So that's what's happening, except you have in this context this other group, the Pharisees and the scribes. That's the, the religious elite, right? That's the pastors and priests of our day, right? Those that they know all the answers. They're as close to God as you can be on earth, right? And they are what? Grumbling. Grumbled. Saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. The word grumble, it's like if your, your car's not starting right away. It's like running out of gas. You ever do that? Monday morning, maybe? You don't even know what you're saying? That's what's happening here. He's got all these sinners coming to him. And over here, he's like, I can't believe he even eats with them. And maybe, maybe no rabbi should be seen with those people. And I can't, they shouldn't even be in church. And, right? And we never grumble like that, right? So this is the context to which Jesus is about to say, enough, I got some stories for you. I don't know if he exactly said that. But that's kind of how I picture it, right? And so in verse 3, he begins that. He says, so he told them this parable. What man of you... Having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. This is something that a context that, um, that, that we would be a little bit less familiar with, but they would have. If they, were, if they weren't shepherds, they certainly knew shepherds in that culture, in that place. And so they knew, if you have a hundred sheep and one's missing, he's immensely valuable to you, that sheep, right? So you, 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 you leave the 99, and Jesus is a fictional story. It's not, you shouldn't be going, well, who's taking care of the 99? They're good, right? They're left in good hands, and the idea of the story is this shepherd doesn't just say, eh, I got 99 more, Right? No, he climbs through and he enters danger and faces whatever he needs to face to find that dumb animal that wandered off from the shepherd because, well, thought that it could do it on its own. And Jesus says, you understand that. He's going because that sheep is so valuable that when it's lost, he's going to go after it, right? And so he keeps the story going by saying, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. That's going to be a theme. Because over here you got grumbling. Right? And now Jesus is telling stories about rejoicing. Right? So, so he's, he's rejoicing. He puts the sheep on his shoulders. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. 
for I have found my sheep that was lost. What a scene, right? Like when you uh, are really excited about something, you want to tell people, right? You want to tell your family, your friends. Like this happened. Let's rejoice, right? And if, and, 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 and if they're good friends and they're good family, they rejoice with you. And I love this. This sheep, this dumb animal, who Jesus is comparing us to, by the way, uh, right, is, is wandered off, and when the shepherd finds this hungry, broken down, tired sheep, he doesn't say, bad sheep, right? He doesn't say, stay in the corner till you've learned your lesson, right? He picks that weary, dumb, lost animal, and with joy puts it on his shoulders and brings him home. And that's the picture right, that he wants them to see. Let's rejoice. Let's not grumble, right? And so he brings that first story home with verse 7. Just so, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy, that's that theme, rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, Jesus is kind of taking this fictional story because sheep don't repent, they're animals, Repenting means you're lost because you have gone the wrong way. You have sinned, and so you turn. You do an about face. I don't want that anymore. And so it's always going to be necessary when we go back to God. When we're lost, we need to turn from it. We don't stay there. We turn. And so he says when that happens, when one sinner who's lost repents, all of heaven sings with joy. You see, Everyone needs to repent. So the, the 99, they're just self-righteous. They think, well, I go to church, and I know a lot about the Bible, and uh, I've been good, and I'm better than him and better than her. Certainly God is pleased with me. Heaven has no time for such silliness. Heaven rejoices over the broken sinner that returns home. And so he does what he loves to do, right? Jesus, that we've seen this before, where he kind of appeals to one group, and in this case it would be men, because shepherds are typically men. But now he wants to appeal to the women in the audience. So he says, so what woman, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till she finds it? See, same idea, right? So, uh... I have my broom here. I'm sure she had a better broom than this. But the idea of this picture, as you're listening to Jesus tell the story, is this woman has ten silver coins, right? And she loses one, so she's still got nine. So she could be like, well, it's just a silver coin. But that silver coin to a, a, a poor woman like this is immensely valuable. It's so important, right, that she, you can see the picture, lights a lamp, they don't have a lot of sunlight, probably kind of poor, and she, she's looking in every corner, where could that have gone, right, sweeping and getting in the, those nooks and crannies, probably got some gross food in there, right, like, oh, gross, I gotta, where is it, where, I can't find it, right, and spends hours because she's got to find it. Finally, in the most grossest little corner that you would never want to look at, you'd never want to be in, she sees it, right? And she picks it up. For us, it's only a quarter, but for her, it's immensely valuable. She finds it, right? Finally finds this thing that is so valuable and was lost. So what is she going to do? Well, a lot like the shepherd. She's going to react very similarly. And when she had found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, 
There it is again. Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just like the shepherd, Jesus talked to the Pharisees. You're grumbling over sinners who want to come home, who are lost. Why are you grumbling? You're, you're invited to rejoice. Look what God's doing. Why are you grumbling? Why are you acting like that? You should be rejoicing. I'm calling you into rejoicing. So he, he says, why? Because again, he connects it. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Have you ever thought about that? How incredible that is? We often think of salvation in Christ and it's like a religious process, and God's kind of up there, and he generally sort of offers this grace, and we're down here trying to figure it out. That's not what Jesus says. Like, when you put your faith in Christ, when you came, if that's you, that all of heaven rejoiced. If that's not what happened, then Jesus is not telling us the truth. Jesus always tells the truth. He's saying, one sinner, just one so it's like, I often think, who cares about Jamie? Like, seriously, born in 1975, not sure when that's going to come to a, a halt, but here I am in comparison to all the souls, all the people. Who am I really? And yet, as I, a 21-year-old college student, sat in that arena and gave my life to Christ, all of heaven rejoiced. Think about it. If you're a Christian, that happened to you. When you said, okay. I'm home, right? The angels rejoice. And, and Jesus says, he invites these Pharisees, he invites us, rejoice with us. Why would you grumble when God is bringing sinners home? And so we see that God loves us. Listen, God does not love your sin. that has to be repented of and paid for by the cross of Christ. But he loves you. And he most poignantly describes it in this third story, the one that we're most familiar with, right? And so Jesus kind of rolls into one more. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. That's really important, right? We often think of the one because it's mostly about him, but it's about two sons, as we'll see. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. In other words, give me your, your inheritance that I'm going to get when you die. And he divided his property between them. The father does it. This would have been the younger son. There's an older son. He would have got about a third of the property because the older son gets two-thirds. How many older sons here? You, you uh, man, you really made out back then. How many daughters here? Uh, sorry about that. You hoped for a good husband back then. So be thankful you're today, right? And so this is what happens. So he gives the third. Uh, that it, it, basically what he's saying is, Dad, I can't wait until you're dead and buried to get my stuff. So can you just give it to me now? And he does it. Man, what a slap in the face. See, he doesn't want the father in this story. He wants the father's stuff. And that's anyone who says, you know what? I don't believe in God. I don't, it's all a joke. It's a charade. It's a crutch. It's a this. It's a that, right? Is, is they want to reject the father, the creator of all that is good. But man, they certainly want to go off and enjoy his stuff. They don't call it that, but that's what it is. Right? They still want to enjoy their life. That's all from God. Right, so just give me your stuff. I don't want you. That's what he is in the stories, any of us, when we wander away from God. And, and so what's going to happen to this uh, younger son? Well, not many days later, this younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he liquidates his assets. A lot of that, the inheritance would have been property and all that. 
how he did that. We're not told. It's a fictional story. But he goes away with whatever those assets were, and he just lives as high as he can, man, just, just spending on any kind of thing that, that would ple- be pleasurable, and he runs out of money. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Two things come against this younger son. First is his own problem, right? He squandered everything he had. It's easier to spend someone else's money, isn't it? And that's what he did. But if the second thing hadn't happened, a famine, for our sake, it might be a huge recession, right? Because that's what a famine did in their culture, right? And, and so if that hadn't happened, he maybe he could have got a job or maybe he could have got some charity and just kept on trying to live his life that way. But he couldn't because there was no charity to be given and there was no job except the really lowly job he's about to get. And so he has nothing, right? He's literally, at, he's about to hit rock bottom because these two things have happened, his own uh, sin and hard times. But man, if the hard times, if the famine hadn't happened, what would have happened to him? And that's the thing. If you're in a hard time right now, you have to remember this. A lot of us know this. You have to be reminded of this, that God uses your hard time to bring out a soft heart. God will use your hard time to bring out a softer heart. Sometimes it takes the hard time for us to awaken to who God is and what he really wants His purpose for our life. And if we don't have them, we still think by this lie that I can do it on my own. And so he, he kind of, these two things collide, his own squandering of money and a famine. And so now he's left without having anything. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. Right? So a couple of things. A lot of times you see this, this uh, story pictured where he's eating the pods, right? I'd say it's worse than that. He's not allowed to. Right? No, no, no. That's for the pigs, bro. You, you go find your own food. Don't be, those, those pods are for the pigs. It's not for you. Don't be eating the pots, right? And so you see this picture. He's a Jewish man. I know some of you love pork chops and ham and all that. A, a Jewish man could not eat that. They were unclean. It was an unclean animal. And so he's there. He's not even going to eat the pig. He's going to eat the, he wants to eat the stuff that the pig eats, and he's not even allowed to do that. This isn't just rock bottom in Jesus' story. It's like he hits rock bottom, and he says, you know what? Let's drill down even deeper, and let's get underneath rock bottom. I don't know if you've ever been there, at rock bottom or, or close to it. Maybe not this bad, but you get to that place in your life, and here's what happens. You have a choice to make. When problems hit, your own fault, it's all, you can do one of two things. We're going to see the second choice, but the first is you can make excuses, we love to make excuses. This happened because, and we love to blame others. If, if dad had just prepared me more, if, if this person hadn't, you know, I gave him money and he didn't pay it back, whatever it is, he could be making all kinds of excuses in that pig yard, right? Or the second choice is to let the Holy Spirit awaken you to what's really going on. And that's what happens here in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, I love that. He came to himself. You ever just kind of be like, all of a sudden you're out of the fog. You're like, what am I doing? What am I doing? That's what happens here. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with the hunger, right? So here's what happens when he comes to himself. He who had been squandering and running and lost and looking to eat pig food, right? As, as he's in rock bottom, instead of making excuses, he starts to think about his father. 
And that's what happens. Some of you might be in that position right now where you're beginning to think about God. You're beginning to think about those things, but you're not sure. That is the Holy Spirit, whether you choose to believe it or not. I know it with every fiber of my being. He's awakening you to God. You haven't thought about God forever. You haven't thought about going, but man, there's something about what he's doing and in this hard time, and you begin to think. You come to yourself. And so secondly, you're going to see this process play out. He, he's thinking, what am I going to do? The, the, my father's servants, like, they, they literally have way more than I have right now. He goes, well, this is what I'm going to do. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. You see, you don't, you, you don't go to your father and he says, your sin's okay, it's fine. I, I, don't worry about it. It's all right. No, 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 there has to be a repentance. Uh, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I've blown it. I've made a mess, right? And, 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 and understanding as you start thinking about that, man, I've I got to own it. i got to own how I've blown it, right? But here's the thing. You don't stay there. He says in verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. That's his plan. He's not going to accept me back in the family. That's way too much to ask. But at least let me work for you. It's way better than this situation. right? And then verse 20. This is so important. It's just a few words. And he rose and he came to his father. You see, I, I, I meet too many people who recognize they've blown it. They've sinned. They're a mess. And they stay there. They stay there. They get awareness. They own it. Man, I have blown it. They just they own that. They're not making excuses, but they stay there because they don't think there's a father who's waiting for them. But he takes that third step you have to take. Get up and go back home. Take the step of faith and just say, man, I don't know what dad's going to say, but I'm going to go, right? I'm going to find out. And that's, Jesus keeps the, the story going. And imagine if you're hearing this for the first time. While he was still a long way off, right, kind of sees his dad's house in the distance, right? His father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. This is crazy, a Jewish man wouldn't do any of these things. He hikes up his robe and he runs. That's disgraceful. He runs to, to seize his son. And, he, and his son's trying to get out his big plan, right? Have you ever done that? Maybe, um, maybe guys, when you proposed to your, your you know, fiancé and you're like, you had this whole speech lined up, you memorized it, you kneel down with the ring and she just tackles you. Ah! Or... Like me, she runs the other direction and you have to chase her down. Like either one. Like the speech never comes out because dad is just so just, just overblown in excitement and he's hugging him and he's kissing him and any neighbors are going, that's weird. He's lost his ever-loving mind because you don't act like that in public. He doesn't care. My son is home. Right? So, so the son has this speech plan. He's like, Dad, hold on, you know. Hold on, I have some things to say. And he says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he owns his sin, and he's about to tell him, I'll just be one of your servants. But his father cuts him off. No way. But the father said to his servants, yeah, 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 yeah. Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand. Shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. Right? A robe is a position in the family. He's like, no servant of mine. You're in my family. A ring is a symbol of authority. You're my son. 
full restoration, right? There's no servant. You're not, and, and sandals meant you're not a slave. Slaves had no, had no shoes. When you had feet, when you had uh, shoes on your feet, it meant you're not a slave anymore. You have the freedom of being in my household. I mean, the son is like, I can't, wait, you're just going to put me back just like that? Yes. Like, that's the point, right? And, 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 and why? From that, for this, he says to all of his servants, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they all began, there it is again, to celebrate. You can see Jesus looking at the grumbling Pharisees. Celebrate. Joy. He's come home. He was dead and he's alive. He's lost and he's found. Let's, let's cheer. This is it's just amazing. Why would we grumble over uh, someone coming back home to his father's house? And, and, and it says, now, with, you, get, you could have really ended the story there. I mean, that could have been all three stories, and that's all it's about. But remember, there was two sons, right? And so Jesus continues the story, maybe unexpectedly. Oh, there's a little bit, there's sort of a, a part two. It's not as long, but it's just as important because remember the context of these scribes and Pharisees and religious elite. And they're grumbling. They don't like all these sinners around, eating with sinners, being a friend of sinners. And so he has this part of the story for them. Now his older son was in the field. and As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and he asked what these things meant. And, he, he, and the servant said to the older brother, your brother has come and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. We're celebrating, right? And so here, if, you, if you'd never heard the story before, you're like, I wonder, I mean, this is his brother after all. How is he going to respond? What's he going to do? Is he going to rejoice like everyone else? Or is he going to grumble? Unfortunately... In Jesus' story, he was angry. He refused to go in. Man, isn't this just like a little kid having a temper tantrum? Hey, he won't go in. You should come in and eat. We have this fat guy. No, I won't do it. I'm going to stay out in the cold and I'm going to enjoy it. Right? Like, have you ever thrown your kid a birthday party and you got like the jumpy jumpy? You hired a clown. Big mistake, but you tried, right? You got juggling acts and you got music and you got friends and you got food, but you didn't give him the present that he wanted. He's like, I don't care. I hate you, right? And you're a parent and you're like, I love you, but I'm going to kill you right now and raise you to life, right? That's him. He's an older son, but man, what a little temper tantrum, right? And he keeps that temper tantrum going, right? He, he's, he's not going to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. Think that's, that's to plead with him. This father has to run out to his second son in the same day, right? The first, the, the, the younger son to come home. Now he's got to run out and say, why won't you come in? What are you doing? And, and so you see this, again the father chases him, again the father seeks. And it says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So you know what? He stayed home, and he looked like the good son, just like religious elite who think they win favor with the father by doing stuff. They're no different than the wayward son. They only really care about the stuff of the father and not the father himself. He doesn't care that he's been in the Father's presence and in the Father's house. He just wants the stuff. And he just didn't have the guts to go away like the first son, the younger son. He keeps going in verse 30. 
But when this son of yours, notice how I underline that. He doesn't call him his brother. Jesus is looking at the Pharisees, right? Like, it's your brother. These sinners are your brother, right? But instead, he, he won't do it. He's your son, right? He's not my father. He, he came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. We don't even know that's true, right? You killed the fattened calf for him, your son. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And then it was fitting, it was fitting to celebrate. And be glad for this, your brother. Not just my son, he's your brother. Why wouldn't you celebrate, right? He's your brother who's dead. And now he's alive, he was lost, and he's found. Rejoice. Why won't you rejoice? That's Jesus' point. And now we, we, had to sell, we had to spend the vast majority of our time together going through these three stories. And we can see Jesus' whole point, right? But, but I, I, I want us to land just really quickly with a few of these. And, and the first is, is just that God loves you. He doesn't love your sin. That's why Jesus died in your place for your sin, right? And there needs to be repentance. But God loves you. I don't, I do not want you to think this is one of those like Sunday school, Jesus loves you, this I know, all right? I want you to know, I want you to know God loves you. Look at me. God loves you. Not some general, he's up there and he kind, he loves you. There's, there's at least someone looking at me right now that probably watched pornography last night. God loves you. There's at least someone probably looking at me now that is having an an emotional affair with someone outside of your marriage. God loves you. He doesn't love the sin, but he loves you. There's at least someone who has shame because you just lied and stole or you did something. Right now you're sitting and you just want this to end because you're feeling tortured by your guilt. God loves you. He loves you. There's probably at least someone right now looking at me that wants to end it all, you're so tired of the shame and the guilt. So tired. God loves you. Don't give up because there's a creator, God, in the universe who loves you so much. He loves your personality. If you're like me, he loves your crooked teeth. Dentist keeps wanting to fix it. I'm like, I don't have the money for that, and God made me this way. I'm good. You're tall and lanky. God loves you. You're short and stubby. God loves you. God loves your, 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 your weird sense of humor, your way of looking at things. He made you that way. God loves you. Your name, fill in the blank, because he, he loves you so much that God seeks you. That's the beautiful thing, right? In all of these stories, right? It's the shepherd. Where's that sheep? Get over here, you dumb animal. I love you. Your home, or the coin, the dirty quarter. Oh, I got it. And even the last one, well, didn't he wait for him? Oh, that's really waiting, right? Sees the son afar off and runs to you, right? He's not some principal going, you have detention for that. He, he, he seeks you. That's, he's a God who seeks, isn't he? Like when, 
when I was in college and I thought I was good with God, right? And yet there was this girl in my life who just kept sharing the gospel with me and it made me so angry. She kept doing it. She made me go to this week-long conference in Illinois. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go on the bus trip. I was angry, but I went. Who do you think put that girl in my life? God did. When I got there and I was like, oh, I don't have to be with strangers. Two, two roommates I don't know. One of them was a pastor. Are you kidding me? This guy's going to be preaching to me all night. Who do you think put those two amazing men in that room with me? God did. That band all week that played, God did that. The speakers, God did that. The the men, the college students who prayed, literally laid hands on me and prayed over me and, and, and asked for God's mercy on my life. Who do you think put those people there? God did. I didn't ask for any of it. And that's your story too. Whatever it might be, God sought you because he wants you. He doesn't want you in the, the, the pig yard trying to eat pods. He wants you home with a robe on, a ring, and a fattened calf. He wants you protected. He's your shepherd. He wants you, your immense value to him. He loves you, he seeks you, and he receives you. Don't stay where you are because you're in shame. When you trust in Christ, your shame is dealt with once and for all. Your sin is paid for once and for all. Your, 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 uh, your separateness from, from the Father is gone because he paid it all. It is finished. And so when you return home, and maybe for the first time today, that's you, or maybe you're drifting from God, and you just, just say, God, I'm tired of sinning. I want you. He, he not only is seeking you, but he receives you. That's the Father that we have. There's no religion like it. Right? There's no, i got to appease this, this mighty universal taskmaster. It's a God who comes and seeks and saves and receives you and embraces you and throws a huge party when you just say, Father, I'm home. And lastly, and this is really, I think, the point of all of these stories, is the Pharisees and the scribes, and that's that God invites you. Invites you to rejoice. The first story, the shepherd called all his friends. The second story, the woman finds the coin, she calls everyone. Let's rejoice. The third, hey, let's get a calf go, let's get a party going. My son's home. There's always this theme of rejoice. Heaven rejoices, angels rejoicing, God rejoicing. And Jesus looks at the scribes and Pharisees and says, Rejoice! And he looks at us. If you're a Christian today and you're gravitating towards older son self-righteousness, Jesus would look right at you and say, Stop! Rejoice! Right? Yeah, there's someone walking in the doors and maybe they don't look right. They threw that cigarette away before they walked in the church. So what? I'm not promoting smoking. I'm just saying we're glad they're here. Right? Or someone who says the off-color thing, you're like, that doesn't belong in church. That's the wrong attitude. We have been invited to rejoice with God and to be part of God bringing sinners home. Lost people to himself. We don't teach them how to get on the merry-go-round of religiosity and church. We teach them the grace of God found in his son Jesus Christ that you too can come home. Let's pray. Father, these stories that Jesus told her are immensely in value because they just remind us of your grace and your love. 
Lord, I pray that um, if there's someone sitting here right now that just, they just need to believe you love them. They've blown it, they've messed up, they've screwed up, they've done something that they think is irreparable, but oh God, would you hold them in their spirit right now so they might know that you love them so much that Jesus came and died for them. That there's no one that loves them more. And even if there's no one in this world that loves them, that's okay because God of the universe loves them. Oh Lord, would you help them not just know it in their mind, but feel it in their heart and in their spirit and in their strength. Father, I pray that if there's someone here who just needs to repent and turn from the slop yard, we've drifted from you, that even today they just say, I've sinned against you, God, and turn back home and help them to know that you receive them. They don't have to pay it in detention. They don't have to work it off because, Jesus, you paid it all. And to all, to all we owe to you. And so that, that if there's someone that just says, cries out to you, Jesus, that they want to be saved, you would show them that they are saved for eternity from their sin and their shame and their separateness and their rebellion. And oh, Lord, I especially pray for any of us, me included, that pieces in our hearts that are gravitating towards self-righteousness, that we... We think we've earned something, we deserve something, that we're better than others. Oh, Lord, would bring us great, beautiful humility, that we are nothing without your grace. Remind us of when we were that dirty, wandering sheep, and you grabbed us and put us on your shoulders. Remind us of that day so that we might see others and see the potential of what you're doing and be a part of it and rejoice Every time we see a baptism, we'll rejoice. Every time we see tears in someone's eyes as they look to you for the first time, God, that we would enter into joy. Enter into joy because you are bringing sinners home. Oh, Father, I pray that we would be part of that. We would be a part of what you're doing in this world. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to the Cornerstone Church podcast. To listen to more messages or check out our church, please visit cornerstonebv.org. If you are looking for a church home in the Blackstone Valley, please join us on a Sunday morning at either 9 or 11. We are a gospel-centered church where our lives are transformed by the power of God's word.